0: Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Bernie's Brums brought to you by Cream City Central. I got Ryan with me. Ryan, how you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I saw some terrific news earlier this week and I'm actually pretty pumped about it.
0: Yeah, you go right ahead and run with it, man. What you got?
1: So basically there was a report from Manny Ramirez's agent saying he wants to make a comeback in Taiwanese baseball and I don't know. I just think baseball is better when Manny Ramirez is in it.
0: How old would he be? I'm just curious. So,
1: by the time Manny plays, right now he's 47. But by the Holy time he plays, crap. he will be 48. Hi. He's going for the Julio Franco record.
0: That's, like, I don't, what's the point at that point, though? Like, love of we're going to get hurt. No, love of the game. I, I don't know.
1: So, the last time he played was in 2017. And he played for a Japanese league, I believe. And he hit, as a DH, he hit 413 with three home runs, 22 RBIs, and 23 games.
0: I mean, yeah, that's the only way he's going to play is in a DH. There's no way in hell they're sending him out in the field.
1: <laughs> so here it is. You're misanalytic.
0: Mm. If
1: Manny Ramirez starts tearing it up in the Taiwanese baseball league, chances of coming back?
0: No. Mm? The only way, the only way would be in an AL league and DH, but even then I have my doubts.
1: Well, eventually the NL is going to get the DH and we all know how the Brewers like to sign guys. Okay, so we're going to
0: sign a 50-year-old. I would know.
1: You know how excited I would be.
0: I know you'd be thrilled, but <laughs> why would we sign a 50-year-old? We can, get, we can get a probably cheaper 27-year-old who does the same thing for Give way me, cheaper.
1: Um, but yeah, but we're not talking about merchandise sales. Give me all the Manny Ramirez merch.
0: That's just a waste of your money at that point. And I can't tell you how to work with your money. So
1: You should have just saw the visible shock on my face when you said a Manny Ramirez Brewer jersey would be a waste
0: yeah like why would we sign okay by the time by the time the dh would come into the nl which would be next year the earliest he will be 49 why
1: i could there's no
0: upside in that
1: he came back at 50 and was still hitting homers that would be awesome are you kidding me i don't care how old he is if he's productive i want him on my team
0: Yeah, but he's productive in Taiwan. That's a completely, like, MLB pitchers are way harder than Taiwanese pitchers.
1: I don't know. Eric Thames made the transition look pretty easy.
0: Well, Eric Thames is different. And also, may I add, like, 20 years younger. (laughs) (laughs) Still. You can easily make adjustments at, like, 30 than you can at 48.
1: If it wasn't for all of the, you know, off-field issues that Manny had, he's a Hall of Famer. And I don't know. You can't take the skill out of him.
0: <laughs> this is a dead cause. Why are we talking about this?
1: Uh, I don't know. Just a little pick-me-up. I loved seeing it. I like nostalgia. And, you know, seeing Manny Ramirez's name really kind of gets me pumped.
0: <laughs> well, you know what I like? What? I like prospects. That was oh. a segue right there. Um, be proud yeah. of me. Um, we got an interview with Zach Brown. Uh, Brewers pitcher in the organization and we had a really good interview and he's got a lot of upside in the game. Uh, He had a down year last year but Brewers are very confident he's going to bounce back and yeah we were lucky enough to be able to talk with him.
1: I mean I would definitely say top five pitching prospect in the system.
0: I mean he's the number three prospect in our system (laughs) so naturally he does fall under top five.
1: Well is that entire system or is that just pitchers?
0: Top 30. Oh. Top 30 of the entire system, I think.
1: At oh, I didn't. least
0: that's what Fangraphs had said.
1: Oh, okay. Because like MLB.com has them a little bit lower. But, I mean, depending on where you go to, it doesn't really matter, I guess.
0: Either way, he's a top-notch kid. And uh, one of my favorite things, I was looking at some of his scouting reports. And from the 2021, one of the biggest things that stood out to me was untapped potential which I think explains him to the brim. You'll hear him talk about his pitch arsenal a little bit and how he likes to attack hitters, and I think that's so true. He does have a lot of untapped potential that will hopefully be brought out as a Milwaukee Brewer.
1: I mean, he has the ability to be a very good relief pitcher as well as a good starter. I mean, he could do both. He has, what, four or five pitches that he throws all at you know above-average levels. Uh, He's got a lot of strikeout potential, doesn't give up a lot of home runs, I mean... That's exactly what you want out of the bullpen.
0: Exactly. He's got a fastball, curveball uh, type of mentality. Everything's around 93, 95 miles an hour. Um, A deceptive delivery. So he could either be a very good starter or we could really make him a late inning weapon depending on what the Brewers need within the next couple of years.
1: He had a down year last year, but he talked about it. It was more so not that he doesn't have the stuff. It was more that he put so much pressure on himself because he knew he was getting so close to the majors that I think, like he said, he got in his own head a little bit.
0: Exactly. And this kid does have this stuff. Like some of his stuff is really, really good. And you could, you could go either way with him. You can throw him in the bullpen or you can throw him out for a start. He's really um, flexible in that way, if you will.
1: Yeah, depending on how the season goes this year, you could see Zach Brown as early as 2020.
0: Oh, for sure. Most likely in a bullpen role, unless there's a myriad of injuries, but there's no doubt that he could, if we have a season, which I think there will be a season, uh, there's no doubt we could see him 2020.
1: I would say he's the most MLB-ready prospect, pitching prospect, the Brewers have in their system right now.
0: Yeah, for sure. He's definitely... One of the top three up there. I don't know. Is Bobby Wall considered a prospect? Because he's another one. But I don't he's like, know if he's... He's like
1: 34. I don't know.
0: <laughs> no, he's not.
1: I'm just joking. He's he's an older prospect though, isn't yeah, he? Yeah,
0: I don't know if he's even considered a prospect. I don't even Yeah,
1: because he's definitely Did made... Did he graduate
0: some... yet? I don't know if he's... Too many know. details for me to know right now. And I know <laughs>
1: Trey Supak, you know, he does really yep. well in the starting role. He doesn't have much experience out of the bullpen. So that's why I think... If the Brewers were going to call somebody up, they would call somebody up with the bullpen experience.
0: Exactly. And that's what he would be able to bring to the plate. Huh. Pun intended. Is that just my
1: memory that isn't serving me credit? Like, tra- Bobby Wall isn't that old, is he?
0: I, I don't know. Let's look it up quick. Yeah, I mean, what
1: else do we have to do besides get to other topics? But
0: <laughs> We have all day to sit no, here. No, yeah, see,
1: Bobby Wall, I have him up. He's 28 years old. So
0: Oh, yeah, he's older.
1: He's not a prospect anymore, though. No. At Twenty-eight. No. But I forgot we had he... Bobby Wall.
0: Well, yeah, I was so excited about him last year, and then he tore his freaking ACL, and that made me yeah. very angry.
1: Yeah, it sucks, man. Some of these pitchers, they have so much potential, and I can only imagine how devastating it is when something happens like that. Oh man. I mean,
0: talk about a punch in the gut.
1: Especially when you're doing well and you're you're on your track to the you know onto the majors and.
0: But anyway. We got the Zach Brown interview once again. Thanks to Zach for coming out and talking with us for um, a couple of minutes. And enjoy.
1: Yeah, this should be pretty fun. How's quarantine been going for you? It's been
2: going pretty good. I uh, I was out in Arizona I, until about April fifth. I had our Airbnb lease with a couple of the, of the other guys, and we stayed out there as long as we could. And then it just nothing was going to open up, so we all. And a pen back, so I've been in uh in Indiana since then, okay,
1: so kind of getting into the brewer stuff and kind of the fun things talking about baseball so last year you were in triple A you were told that you would have to start throwing out of the bullpen rather than starting something that might be new to you first off, how do the coaches approach you with that, and how does your mindset have to change coming out of the bullpen?
2: Yeah, so it was kind of a unique situation. We had uh, Suter coming back from uh, Tommy John, and he was making his rehab starts. It just kind of lined up with my start day for his program was my start day. So they kind of – obviously, he's going to take take that start because he has on the, the limited pitch count, and you can control control that warm-up. And there wasn't much of a conversation. It was just, hey, uh, we got Suter coming in. Um, you're going to be on the back side of them, kind of like a tandem deal. And I had done the tandem a little bit in, um, in low A. So it wasn't a total new thing for me, but it had been a few years. But I think it was fine. I, I liked being in the bullpen. It was still not a full bullpen situation because I kind of knew when I was going in, it wasn't like, hey, you have this batter to get hot. So it was kind of, uh, a little more lax in that regard, but overall it was a good experience. Especially like, that's probably what I will have to do if I if I make it to the big leagues. I'm gonna have to be able to do both roles or one or the other and whatever they ask. So it was a good experience to have going into the future.
1: Yeah, we he and Olivia talk about it all the time. We kind of see you as the Adrian Hauser type pitcher where. You know, you kind of start in the bullpen in the big leagues and then make a transition to a starting role.
2: Yeah, and, and that was awesome. I actually uh, roomed with Hauser in San Antonio to start. So seeing him do what he did last year was awesome. And uh, just the progression he made, it was it was just awesome to watch and see some other teammates that, that I've played with. I played with him a little bit in Biloxi too. So uh, it, was, it was cool to see him get back to the bigs and, and do his thing and, and take off with it. He had, a, he had a great year. He's got electric stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. He's definitely a conversation we have often. And going back to you, you know, you're considered one of the top pitching prospects that we have in the Brewers organization. How do you manage your own expectations and goals aside from what other outside forces um, expect from you?
2: Yeah, I think I set some pretty lofty goals on myself and that kind of, it could have played a factor in, in, in the down year last year, of just like, what do I need to do to get to Milwaukee instead of just being myself? Um, And I, I think I put in just enough pressure on myself that the the outside stuff doesn't really, like, like no one's really going to put more pressure on me than myself, which could be a downfall, but it, I think it also drives you to, to get better. So for me to to just go out and pitch and and deal with what I have internally is going to be the bigger challenge than what's going on around
0: me. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, being in the Brewers organization – um, they seem to have a philosophy once David Stearns took over that everything kind of trickles down where you start one philosophy, um, at the big league club and every single level below it follows it. So how much contact do you have with a guy like Tom Flanagan or people within the major league club, um, to kind of coordinate those ideas?
2: Yeah. So most of that stuff for us doesn't, I mean, it, it probably comes directly like from Tom and he just oversees it, but, um, like our pitching coordinators, we have – we're in touch with them a lot. They'll make their rounds through all the the affiliates to make sure, like, we're doing what we need to do every day to, to put a good product on the field for ourselves and for the team and the organization. And just to to get that that process going in low A or, or in rookie ball, whatever it is, um, that is, that's been huge because you know what they want to see and you know what you need to do to – to be able to let them see that. So that communication factor has been been awesome. They they let you know exactly what you want to do or what you need to do. And, and I fully believe that does come from Stearns all the way down. Um, they're very open. And um, they just kind of let you do what you're good at doing and then adjust from there.
1: Yeah, did David Stearns, I'm trying to remember correctly, did he take over while you – because you've been in the organization for a while now.
2: Did yeah, he, he take was, over
1: in the middle of your career
2: with the Brewers? I think it was right before. I, think it, I don't know the exact year that he took over, but I want to say it was 14 or 15, and I got drafted in 16. So um, all of that's been instilled from day one for me from, from the top down.
1: You know, you're a minor league pitcher right now on the Cups, of being at the big league level to the fans and you know brewer fans out there that haven 't heard of you and never looked at your stats, how would you describe your pitching style and arsenal
2: yeah I, I would I would say just aggressive i mean i'm I was always a little kid growing up like a small kid uh not as big as all the others, and I use like my whole body a lot. I think that kind of contributed some to some velo jumps later in life and just trying to figure out my body now that I'm understanding pitching more. Um, So I think I I might look a little more aggressive uh, pitch by pitch than some other guys, Uh, but it it seemed to work for me and it creates a little bit of deception. So that, that, that can go all the way back to when I started pitching, but uh, the arsenal is four seam sinker changeup slider. So it's, it's all going to come out relatively hard. The changeup I'm working on taking some, some D-low off of it, uh, getting the action going. So, uh, And then the slider has just been a, a work in progress, kind of struggled with it last year, but I definitely feel like I got a, a good hold of that right now. And um, Yeah, I think just attacking hitters, ground balls, when, whenever it's a good day, ground balls. Um, and then when it's in the air, it could, it could become an issue, but that's where I have to to keep the ball down and, and then I'll still be working up in the zone with the force team whenever, whenever the time calls for it.
1: So you said you throw a sinker, which in my opinion is one of the most effective pitches when thrown correctly that any pitcher can have in their arsenal, just from its ground ball strength. Is there a guy that you look to or have, you know, looked to seeing how they've thrown the ball to get an effective sinker?
2: Yeah. So, going into college I never had a two seam or sinker it was always just straight four seams and my pitching coach Gary Henderson uh, in college he kind of showed me it's called a a one seam fastball so I've kind of stuck with that grip the whole way I've never really asked many people how they hold the sinker because the mine has seemed to work since I started since I started throwing it in college and but we definitely collaborate with with, with just the technology that we might have, uh, spin rate, spin axis, all that stuff, try to take your grip and do what what your arm kind of allows um, in your arm path. So that's been a huge, huge plus for me, just to understand that pitch a little bit more, just to collaborate with, with pitching coaches, other pitchers, just to see maybe how they hold their two seam, just to see and mess around with it. But I've stuck with that one seam for – um with I got on campus fall of 13 so that's that's kind of when I learned it so it's seven years going relatively new pitch for me if you want to look at the whole broad aspect of baseball but I feel really comfortable with it and and always up to see what other guys have possibly
0: yeah speaking of you were just talking about kind of building different pitches and a couple years ago when the Brewers did their spring training facility they added that pitching lab, which is, I think, crazy cool. Have you been able to utilize it? And if so, what part of it has stood out the most useful for you?
2: Yeah, we, I definitely have. They they definitely um, put us onto that. Um, if you're interested in going or even if you just want to get in there and see what it's like. So I think going in there for me was learning pitches and, and learning what hand positions might work. We're able to to slow some things down, which is awesome. You could get immediate feedback, which is really cool because you don't get that in games, really. So if you might feel a little early on something or your hand position's weird, you can check it out right there, which is the benefit for everyone because I know not every pitcher is the same, but um, pitch types and and pitcher types, you could maybe find something with one guy and then maybe – take it over to another guy and be like, Hey, this worked for him. Maybe try it out and see how it feels. So just the uh, way that we're able to use all that technology has been really cool. With
1: all that technology, I, I, I can imagine it being a little bit tough to not overanalyze yourself though.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're going in there to learn, but you also have to have a mindset of sticking with who you are and sticking with what has been a, a good pitch or, or good pitches. and, taking all the technology and deciphering what you actually want and what you need because not everything not everyone's going to use all the technology we have so you need to figure out for me especially what i wanted to get out of that experience in the lab so that just goes back to to the base that you have of the picture you are like what what do you need to see out of these numbers or what do you need to see out of out of this video and and just take from there
0: Is that one of the challenges um, kind of growing up in an analytic age of baseball of like trying to weed out what you can use and what's not useful for you?
2: Absolutely. Like I I mean, whenever I would step on the mound, even kind of through college, we didn't have any of that data. So it's definitely a learning experience, even for for big leaguers right now, Um, just try to figure out and refine what they have. And uh, definitely the deciphering of what you want and like picking and choosing that is that is a process that that can take some time and um, and hopefully you're able to do that in the off season, which a lot of guys have been able to find somewhere that that technology is available and just kind of mess around and, and keep learning.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And one question I always like to ask, especially um, minor league players, is what is the most what is your like favorite minor league story or the weirdest thing you've encountered um, while being in the minors?
2: Um, I would say the weirdest might've been in, in Biloxi. We had a drone come over our field and like, obviously you're not supposed to have those in, in cities like that. So we had to like clear the field. I, I forget for how long, but like we cleared the field and then the drone came back. So we had to clear the field again. It was just a weird experience. It was kind of like, it goes back to the technology. Like you've never really had to deal with that. So I, there's rules in place for, for umpires to see that. And, for us to clear the field. So that was probably the weirdest one. But it, my favorite one would be uh, just the whole 18 season in Biloxi as a, like entirety. I was pitching really well and the team meshed really well from day one. And we, we put together a nice playoff run. So that was probably uh experience in playoffs is I would say the most, like the favorite of all my four and a half years.
1: So the last question we have for you, and this is a question I love to ask. But who was a player you looked up to growing up?
2: Oh, pitchers, I really didn't look at too much growing up. I was always like shortstop first. Like, I loved pitching, but I loved watching Nomar Garcia Parra. I, I don't know what it was. I think it was just like his, his funny name. Like, it was a long name. I'm five years old watching baseball. I'm like, wow, that, like, he does all that fidgety stuff at the plate. Like, it was just a cool guy to watch. And I kind of took what I could from him at, from a young age. Like, you don't really know baseball to this degree when you're a kid growing up, but you can watch and and take in as much as you as much as a a brain like that could at that time. So that would probably be my favorite player. I never really had a pitcher that I watched a lot and tried to try to emulate.
1: I always used to try to do the John Trail Willis windup because I was a lefty.
2: <laughs> yep. I mean, you get guys like that that are just so unique. You you want to do it like go in the backyard and see <laughs> see what's working.
1: No, I would walk seven people in a row, and I'd have to stop that one.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what you're going to run into. When you, like Those guys are they're, uh, very unique, especially left-handed pitchers, and um, he was probably doing that for a very long time.
1: Yeah, he probably didn't just pick it up like I did. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right, like it's probably a natural movement to him.
0: Oh, man, there are some weird, like, I mean, one of the most famous ones for me just growing up a Brewer fan is, like, seeing the counts, batting stands, and it's like how is that even comfortable for anybody? Like, right, yeah, I remember that one growing fans. up,
2: too. It's like it, I was always told it doesn't matter how you start, just get in the right positions at the right times, and he's definitely, a, like, one of those guys, like, what is he doing waiting on the pitch like that? But but he had a, a long career and, and a productive career, which is awesome. Yeah, that I think.
1: I think exactly. every, every kid that grew up playing wiffle ball tried to do the Gary Sheffield, the yep, Craig Council, yep. and pr- maybe the Ray Durham. Do you remember him where he was all crouched with the bat yep. behind his and, back? Yeah.
2: I remember that. Yeah, and then he got like – I think it was like Tony Batista that was completely facing the pitcher and then he would close himself off. Like, there are so many stances in baseball that are just like, how are these guys doing this and, and putting the wood on the ball at this rate? <laughs>
0: I mean, at the end of the day, whatever is going to work. But uh, we want to thank you so much for coming on and talking with us a little bit. Uh, we really appreciate it. And the yeah. last thing to kind of wrap up with is I'll ask you if you have anything you'd like to share with our listeners.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is just a weird time. I think that that is the biggest thing. It's a weird time, and you just got to to stay safe because – for us, we're, we're looking to get on the field as soon as possible, and that's the biggest thing, get some normalcy in our lives. Like I haven't been home at this time of the year since my senior year of high school, so it, it's just weird. I mean, I, I'm one of many people that have unique situations, and everyone's being impacted in some way, whether it's financially or physically. So I think the biggest thing is just try to stay safe and, and treat, those, treat those essential workers with, with respect and, and uh, have some pride for what they're doing.
0: Absolutely, man. Once again, thank you so much for coming on and talking with us.
2: Yeah, you got it. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, and we are back. Great interview. Great guy.
1: And we wish him all the best in the system.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Once again, Zach, if you're listening, thanks for talking with us a little bit. And moving on, we had talked a little bit about the potential of there being a major league season this year. And within the last couple of weeks, from what it sounds like, all MLB execs are saying there's like a 97% chance of there being an MLB season in 2020, but it'll just be in a different capacity. And one of the bigger ones that have been talked about is the 10 team divisions, which I'm assuming will be playing with the Universal DH, would be my assumption. Um, but yeah, basically, the setup is you have the East, Central, and West, and It's the NL East and the AL East together, and so on and so forth. So what are you thinking about that?
1: Things are getting weird. They're coming out with some weird concepts here.
0: But this one isn't that weird. There's been some weird ones, and this one is nowhere near
1: close. So I think (laughs) – I was thinking about this a little bit. The only way a season would work, I'm guessing, a shortened schedule. Oh, yeah. We're not playing the World
0: Series in Christmas.
1: (laughs) So by making the – uh, the division's bigger at least then we won't have to watch the brewers play the cardinals 30 times you know yeah
0: but my thing i don't know my thing is like i'm a really big fan of having it all in arizona and florida because you look at some of these cities like you know places like la new york and they have been hit so hard by this pandemic and they're so heavily populated like do we really want even even if it is just nine teams coming through the city like do we really want people constantly traveling through the city Like, that's the thing. Or do we all just want to keep them in a central area, which would be in Arizona or Florida?
1: You know, some people that make a lot more money than me are making those decisions. I have no idea what they're going to do. They're coming out with these concepts and then they don't really tell us where they're going to play. They're just like, all right, this is what we've proposed. And you're like, all right, but what about the other details?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, I was, um, I was listening to a couple of stuff just sort of what some agents are talking about and it's like all this stuff that they have to figure out to play a game this season is so extensive like they were luckily able to figure out like service time and then the whole thing with the salary like if we end up playing like let's say we play 81 games which would be half of a major league season then players are getting 50 percent of their salary and then it's the whole thing about I think it's what is it, 60 games for it to be an official Major League Baseball season for there to be eligibility to have a postseason. So this whole thing is insane.
1: Yeah, but I think at this point, all these GMs and owners, they can't afford to be in a hole as big as they will if they just have no season at all.
0: And that's the thing. You know, teams depend so much on ticket revenue and gate revenue. And without it, like, I mean, they're still playing, they're still paying major league roster guys, partial salaries, like major league guys are still getting paid a partial salary. So money's still going out, but not much money is coming in.
1: Yeah. And even if they play games that are just on TV, at least they're getting some revenue. And that's what I believe they're kind of going for.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. I was watching uh, Trevor Bauer and his agent, Rachel Luba have done a great job on talking about some of these issues and. I was watching one of their videos about how playoffs would work. And what a lot of people don't realize is that the players get paid off of gate revenue from the playoffs. They get a percentage of gate revenue. And if we get to the playoffs and there most likely will not be fans in the seats, where are these players getting paid? Because the owners make bank off of TV deals, but it's really going to be a big decision on, okay, if we do have a playoffs and there's no fans in the seats, how are we going to pay these players? Because the union's never going to allow them to not be paid. So it'll just be, this whole thing is, there's so many details to figure out.
1: These businesses, they run more so like a small business. Obviously the money that they deal with is so large, but they're almost ran as if they're a small business. So it's really confusing about how players are going to get paid, per, you know, team personnel, people that work. I, it's, it's a mess that I wouldn't want to have to try to figure out.
0: And that's the thing, like when they said, I think initially they're like talking about they'll have a plan by like the end of June and hopefully not starting later than early July. And at first I was like, man, really that long? And then I start listening and reading about all this stuff they still have to figure out. And I'm like, that's a pretty short time to figure all of this out. Like there's a lot of wrinkles to iron out.
1: If you had to bet money, do you think...
0: I'm not oh. old enough to bet. <laughs> <laughs> Do
1: you think there will be baseball this season? And yes. if so, when will it start? Because my guess is I'm thinking July, you know, July 1st through July 4th, somewhere in there.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking there will be baseball. I think I don't know. I just think there will be. A lot of execs are talking about it and there's definitely not a lack of ideas going out there around how to go about it. And I would agree with you around like July 4th is probably when we'll see at least a shortened spring training to kind of get guys back into quote unquote game mode. And then hopefully by mid July, we're playing games.
1: Well, what's funny about this is, you know, all these major sports leagues are trying to make decisions, but I feel like they're all kind of scared to make the final decision. Like, oh, we're going to come back at this date because there's going to be so much backlash. I mean, you can't please everybody. There's always an opposite end of the spectrum and I I mean nobody's right in the situation. That's what makes it difficult.
0: As much as baseball, like they call it America's pastime and everything, there's still a lot of people out there who want to bash baseball as much as possible. So we're, we're this as of right now we're the most the sport most likely to come back and play any sort of season in 2020. And if, we're, if we go back and we let's say we have fans in attendance and all of a sudden these uh, positive tests for coronavirus have a spike, it's like there goes baseball and all of our chances for gaining new fans. Like there goes all hope because people are going to hate us for starting a second wing of the pandemic.
1: Well, and another thing is I know the NBA talked about it where they don't want to do a new season until there's universal testing. These sports leagues could get testing as easily as they want, but I think it's just a bad look if they are the only Oh, it's a terrible get, look. Then that's what they don't want to do because, you know, they have the ability to do that. I mean, they did it in the NBA when this thing first started.
0: Yeah, like that's a terrible look because half, half of the clinics in the country right now, like can't even get tests. They have like tests pending. Yeah, yeah that'd be an awful look. They could never do that.
1: But what's interesting to me about this ten-team division is the Brewers are going to have it up against them. I mean, they are in a tough division.
0: Well, yeah, and then that like, again—that yeah, like asks the question—is like, okay, how do the playoffs work? Then how many teams from each division are going to come in? Because, I mean, if we look at let's—I'll just list off all the teams who will be in this if we do go to ten-team divisions. We'll have Atlanta, the Cubs, White Sox, which are no threat to anybody. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs>
1: whoa! There's no threat. They made some moves this year.
0: No, they're never a threat. I, no, I have no faith in them. Um, moving on, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Detroit, not Kansas City. Yeah, not no, a not a threat at all. Kansas City, um, us, Minnesota, and St. Louis.
1: But you have the Braves, the Cubs, the Reds. I mean, the Indians, Cleveland. On how you look at them and the Twins and Cardinals. I mean, that is a tough schedule, but. I guess at the end of the day, everybody's got to deal with it.
0: I mean, yeah, but I mean, <laughs> we talk about like if you look at the East, though, it's like Baltimore, Boston, okay, Miami, the Mets, Yankees, <laughs> Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Washington. It's like I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a different. I mean, they're definitely tough teams in that division, but
1: not as many I mean, as what we got. In
0: this in the central like all but maybe two or three teams are going to be playing for a postseason spot and would be either way if it was a regular season or not.
1: The central has you know from the top to the bottom has the toughest division.
0: Oh, there's no question.
1: I don't know how the Brewers would stack up because this season is so what if because they it is pending on how some of these new guys perform. So, I mean, I couldn't predict that they would win it. But I do, and think- that
0: and like in two though is like we've had, and I get it. Like the pitchers, they're all major league athletes. Like they'll figure it out. But also at the same time, it's like these pitchers have been in off season mode now for months, more months than they ever have been before. It's like, okay, are these pitchers going to come in and be able to perform the same for as long? Like there's just questions to be asked, and obviously you have to be careful with these guys because if you do make it into the playoffs, and you're extended out even more, that's more innings they're throwing. So it's just, I mean, again, there are people on a payroll getting paid more than I will ever get paid to figure this out. But definitely a lot of questions to be answered. Yeah, well,
1: you never know what these guys are doing in the offseason. A lot of the guys that we've talked to personally have been saying they're staying in shape. They're still ready to play whenever. So yeah. I, I trust that these professional athletes can stay in somewhat of a game shape um, I mean, they've been doing it their whole lives. So I- well, I'm
0: not even talking. I'm, I'm talking about like staying in game shape for too long. Cause I, I truly think there is, we should talk about this at one point, but I about- truly think the dip in Jeremy Jefferson's performance last year was due to all the innings he pitched in the postseason. Cause he had never pitched that many innings before in his career. There's a huge spike in innings for him. And I, I truly believe that contributed to his lack of performance in 2019.
1: I miss that guy. That guy was lights uh, out in 2018. He was so much fun to watch. I miss him.
0: I miss his, like, when his song came on, Fireman by Lil Wayne. It's like, oh, you knew things were about to get going.
1: Well, and that guy, Ugh. I mean, he was intense.
0: <laughs> he I'm was not... fun. He was just fun to watch.
1: One of my favorite closers in a while.
0: Don't say closers, man. Why? He didn't. He, he just... Uh, he pitched in the 17th and ninth inning. He's not a closer. He was a late inning inning eater.
1: In 2018, I he was our closer. Craig
0: counsel's terms. He was in he was an out getter, a late inning out getter.
1: In 2018, you can't tell me he wasn't our closer.
0: We had three close if okay, if we want to talk in terms of closers, we had Josh Hader who closed out games, Jeremy Jeffers closed out games, and towards the end of it Corey Kenable also closed out games. I don't
1: know. Jeffers was the most dominant out of those three.
0: I mean, we we could sit and argue that all day, but
1: one two nine ERA and seven No, I'm not eight.
0: saying he wasn't dominant. No, I'm I'm just I mean, it depends on what you look at and again, it depends on the part of the lineup you're facing and Well, you know what I look at. ERA,
1: which Okay, so tell me this. You know how you hate when I say ERA, strikeouts, whip, whatever, you hate all of those numbers? It's not that I so okay. the problem yeah, you is say
0: I hate them. when
1: I look at all the numbers that I like to look at, as opposed to what you look at, we come to the same conclusion on the players almost all of the time.
0: Mm, debatable. <laughs> there are, I would say the players, no, I would argue the players that are on the Brewers because the Brewers very much think how I, at least I assume they think how I th- think Being analytically advanced as they are. But I like, that's the thing though. Like I never even look at one stat. I look at everything, man.
1: Well, so do I. I mean, I don't just look at a 3-8 ERA and say that that guy was below average or average. A lot of times when you look at all the numbers, you can get the same opinion on a player.
0: I disagree.
1: Don't tell me your stats are better than mine.
0: I'm not saying anything I'm just saying your stats if we want to play it your stats my stats your stats would say yes. Mike Mustakis was a very valuable player for the Brewers my stats would say he was somewhat overpaid and we could get the same guy with the same amount of production for much cheaper
1: really the yes. same guy
0: I mean maybe okay he did have a gene for clutch I'll give him the clutch gene but I do think you could get a very similar performance out of a guy who's much cheaper Mm, hence to why we never signed him to a long-term deal
1: i, I just don't think the brewers have the money
0: they could have i mean we <laughs> found the money for yelich y'all we could have yeah, we could have scrapped together a couple million
1: i would have gave up like half my yearly salary to keep yelich in milwaukee so
0: oh i mean everybody would have <laughs> the whole city would have been like take my money
1: <laughs> i don't know you'd be surprised a lot of people <laughs> they were who, mad that we doesn't
0: park Oh, don't, oh, because they, oh, what, we cut down their rare weed? (laughs) Whoa. Do you know about that story? No, I don't. Where, like, like Miller Park, like, the whole thought of it being built was, like, it could have been halted because there was some, like, rare weed they wanted to preserve that was growing in the plot. I'm like, (laughs) oh. I'm like, just kill it with some roundup and let's get going. I
1: didn't know that. I mean, there were still people that were mad about the Pfizer forum. And you see how much better that's made Milwaukee.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't get it. It's making revenue for the city.
1: It makes the city better. I mean, Milwaukee yeah. is has been thought of like a you know like a B level city for so long. It, when you make improvements, it it's better.
0: <laughs> I love Milwaukee. Like their whole Deer District. Is that what it's called? The Deer District down yeah. there. Yeah. That, that's incredible. That's a place that you go out even if you're not going to the game. You go out and you chill and you sit on their little patio and you watch the game. You go to Major Goolsby's and it's a great night.
1: I wish, I wish the Brewers had something like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have tailgating. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hellfair Field used to be pretty cool.
0: I Is that still? I think where? I remember that. Halfway, yeah. They still, I think they play like little league games and stuff there.
1: So, yeah, they, well, when I was younger, the rec league that I was in, we could pick, I think it was. Two two or three players to play at Hellfair Field every year, and it was kind of like an all star game. So uh-huh. I was a little bit younger, but a lot of times I was a little bit better than the older players. But oh my dad, my, wow! Hey, I'll say it. I'll say <laughs> it. I was throwing wow. gas back in the day.
0: Oh, little league, Ryan.
1: So, anyways, what a guy. so but my dad was the coach, and he was like, "All right, you know, some of these kids won't play baseball as long as you will." So. We're going to send them to Hellfair you know, for the experience because you'll get there someday. When you're older, you'll get there. But then the year that I was going to be able to go to Hellfair, they stopped the program. Ugh. So I was like, hmm. Poor I was
0: 12-year-old the- Ryan. Well, yeah,
1: I was the better player. I should have went. <laughs> I was uh, robbed. Oh, only
0: – oh, you were robbed. Oh, robbed of a childhood.
1: I mean, how many other people can say they got Gavin Lux out?
0: Hmm? <laughs> we're not having this discussion again. <laughs>
1: High school Ryan threw a fastball inside to Dodgers prospect, Dodgers starting second baseman, Gavin Lux. He popped out the second base and as he was running by me, he made fun of me for throwing a gravity ball.
0: (laughs) But why don't you tell him what happened in the first at bat?
1: No, that was the first at bat.
0: Oh, the second at bat.
1: Well, the second at bat, I had him 0-2. I was feeling it. You know, he's a lefty. I was a lefty. So I'm like, I'm going to get him on his curveball. He's probably (laughs) not going to see it coming. I I hung that curve and he just roped, (laughs) roped a triple right (laughs) off the wall. He almost put that thing over. It was, I think, off the bat, it was like 110 miles an hour. That thing was hit so hard, I couldn't even see it. But I still got him out.
0: You can take that one to your grave.
1: Yeah, I pitched against him five times. I walked him once because I was pitching around him. (laughs) And he got two singles and a triple off me. And I got him out once. So.
0: Wow, what a great story.
1: If Gavin's listening to this. Doubt well, it. I mean, if he's still can, salty about it, we can have we a conversation. Can, we can send him the link. <laughs> I don't think I have it on video. I should have. Oh,
0: that but that's my that's my
1: claim to fame.
0: Well, congratulations. I
1: know, it's not a great one, but.
0: <laughs> it's nowhere near great. <laughs> still hits
1: 750 off me. <laughs> but, I mean, and then, I mean, to make it worse, he did make fun of my fastball for being, like, change up. <laughs>
0: I mean, I, he said it, not me.
1: I mean, I'm not going to lie with him. I mean, I wasn't humming hard. Huh? What can a 5-6 lefty do?
0: <laughs> not much.
1: Easy. I said it. You can't.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Well, moving on to the last topic. Um, may I say I just love when Yelich goes on Twitter and starts ripping people apart. And it's not even ripping people apart. It's more so like being extremely sarcastic. And just like, what's the bitter? And that's not the correct term. I'm trying to think of the word and it's not coming to me. But I just think he's bored. <laughs> also, very true. No, but like he's had some great Twitter moments. Like the relaxed Roxanne, obviously a classic. He's yeah, just very awesome. like, I'm trying to think of the word. Like it's not hostile.
1: No, he's a little sarcastic and I mean, yeah. he, he goes on there because he knows people are gonna be dumb and try mm-hmm. to argue with him. And he I think he likes that. He thinks it's oh fun.
0: yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he got a big laugh out of it. But it's, yeah, I think funny. it's funny. And like the whole thing is like people were like, Well, what did you do? What was the adjustment that you made that made your launch angle? First of all, if you ever want to get him immediately to stop listening to you, is say the word launch angle.
1: He doesn't care. Um
0: he'll block you out immediately. However, <laughs> people are like, What was the adjustment that you made? And I'm like sitting there and I'm scrolling through, I'm like, People, he's talked about it in every single interview he has done. <laughs> Since he won 2018 MVP.
1: All he says is he stood up a little bit straighter at the plate.
0: (laughs) But it makes sense, though. Well, it does, but... Because his bat has always stayed in the zone for a very long time, his whole career. But because he stood up straighter, his bat stays in the zone so much longer, no matter where the pitch is pitched. That's kind of redundant. (laughs) And he is able, because of that, to strike the ball at ideal timing every single time. He he's so, given a greater chance to strike the ball at the meat of the ball. Wait, he's given a greater chance by doing that. Wait, what?
1: Are you telling me Christian Yelich is a good hitter?
0: I know, crazy.
1: <laughs> but what bothers me is he'll tell people what he did, and then you got people on Twitter arguing with him about exactly that's yeah. n- about that's not what he did. <laughs>
0: I love it, though. And then there's still people, like I said, there's still people like, well, what did you do? It's like, go to any interview he's done post-2018 MVP. He talks about it every time.
1: Yeah, he's not really an analytical guy. He's more of like a, a small adjustments and just see how it goes type of hitter.
0: Oh, he's a feel hitter for sure.
1: But Seth McClung, you know, the first guest we ever had on this pod. Shout out Seth McClung.
0: Shout out Seth.
1: He put it perfectly where he said, the 2018 MVP is telling you what he did. What makes you think you know more than him?
0: <laughs> it's so true.
1: Arguably the best hitter in all of baseball is saying what he did to improve his swing or launch angle. And you still want to argue with him.
0: And they're still like, mm, I don't think so.
1: Like, yeah. I, um, no, I think you made a conscious effort during your swing to actually change <laughs> um, the way you were holding the bat.
0: Like, I think you started to swing up. No, look at the tape, people. No,
1: all Look he did was hand up higher exactly. a little bit and it wasn't even a drastic change.
0: It was like an it, inch or two.
1: Yeah, he I, <laughs> And it I was just it.
0: because he like struck out for like six games in a row and he was mad coming off the All-Star break. I think he like I think he like struck out six games in a row to the All-Star break. We also were on a very bad losing streak at that time. And he, like, came back to the stadium after the All-Star break, and I think he told Darnell Coles, he's pretty much like, don't say anything, I'm going to try something, and we're going to see how it goes. And the rest is history.
1: I I love Yelich. You almost already might be my favorite brewer of all time.
0: All right, well, I think that's all we got for everyone today. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Ryan, do you have any last words before we cut her loose?
1: Thanks again to Zach Brown. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview uh we enjoyed it and hopefully we can get him on again in the future
0: yeah absolutely make sure you go follow zach brown on twitter and instagram also follow us at bernie's bums on twitter and instagram as well and subscribe to the podcast rate it like it share it with your friends uh we like to have fun over here so <laughs>
1: <But> make sure <laughs> what, are when you, you doubting that when you follow zach brown on twitter it's not the zach brown band
0: oh yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) very true
1: (laughs) i'm sure he's heard that joke five million times but i'm gonna make sure i say it again
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah make sure zach brown the baseball player anyway that's all we have for you guys this week we will catch you next week so have a good one stay safe